Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, the war in Ukraine drags on, dragging us all through it, through the horrific images that we are uh, shown on a daily basis. And a lot of the pundits, at least on our side of the uh, world, are, well, they're sort of chortling. Um, they're keeping the, the actual chortle factor kind of on the down low, but they are, they are chortling nonetheless at the fact that um, Russian generals, Russian officials were saying before the war began, their troops would be greeted as liberators when they came into Ukraine and that uh, Ukrainians would be throwing, flinging flowers at the entering Russian troops. And, of course, that's far from what happened. Um, the Ukrainians have put up historic resistance and uh, said pundits are opining at, at what a humiliation this must be for Putin and the Russian leadership, which predicted that they would be greeted with gratitude as liberators. I'm wondering how that feels, I guess, as an American, I'll never know. Meanwhile, as they say in the news, COVID is coming back, in case you haven't noticed, in case the um, triumphalism has overwhelmed you. Almost 5 million people in Britain are now believed to have COVID-19, according to the uh, Guardian. That's an all-time figure, high figure, for the disease. Hospital admissions and deaths are also rising. This is in Britain. The sharp jump in case numbers is being driven by the virus variant BA2, even more transmissible than the original Omicron. Omicron! Um, and BA2 is now in this country, the United States, uh, particularly in the east and west coasts. Here in New Orleans, we're fine. <clears throat> we're fine. By the way, the uh, wave, the spring wave, I guess you'd call it, or the spring-loaded wave, it's uh, coming just as the British government has ended free testing for the virus. So one of Donald Trump's policy prescriptions is coming true. If you do less testing, you, you'll have less cases. One thing that's almost unmentioned in all the coverage of COVID these days, including, I think this very day, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who was a guest on this program last year, talking about the uh, forthcoming likelihood of having to live with COVID as a part of normal life, like the flu. Well, there is no long flu. It shouldn't, it shouldn't fall to me to point that out. 
two new studies are reporting on an ongoing long COVID research project that are investigating the persistent effects of COVID-19 on cognition. I said cognition. University of Cambridge-led research found many long COVID patients are experiencing significant and measurable memory or concentration impairments after even mild illness. Quote, long COVID has received very little attention politically or medically, says Lucy Cheek, senior author of the new studies. Quote, it urgently needs to be taken more seriously, and cognitive issues are an important part of this. When politicians talk about living with COVID, that is, unmitigated infection, this is something they ignore, unquote. Study reported this week that uh, long COVID affects many. We've known this for a while, but uh, new details on it affects many of the systems of the body, the heart, the lung, lungs, and the brain. The uh, study released this week reports that um, brain shrinkage is one of the known facets of long COVID. Now, I'm not a big fan of dystopian fiction, but um, it just started me thinking about a time not that far in the future where if we're really living with COVID, oh, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 percent of the country has suffered from shrunken brains. It would be scary until you realize that's pretty much what we got now. Hello, welcome to the show. Tearing holes through 
From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news is warm, won't you? I know I will. I have to. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen. Oil platforms, pipelines, coal power, power plants, and other fossil fuel assets could lose trillions of dollars in the battle against climate change in the coming decades. Experts say, experts are quoted by Agence France Presse. Ah, the French. Yes, the French. The morning was issued in a 3,000-page report by U.N. experts who said fossil fuel assets must be retired and replaced with clean energy faster in order to mitigate financial losses. The assets will become stranded and worth less than expected because they may never be used since fossil fuel demand must fall in the near future to limit greenhouse gas emissions. (laughs) Yeah, it's assuming that's going to happen. 
limiting warming to the aspirational 1.5 degrees Celsius target in the Paris Agreement or the more conservative 2 degree Celsius goal, quote, will strand fossil-related assets, said the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. As you know, the combined global discounted value of the unburned fossil fuels and stranded fossil fuel infrastructure is projected to be about one point well they got a, they got their punctuation screwed up here four trillion dollars from twenty fifteen to twenty fifty to limit global warming to two degrees higher if global warming is limited to approximately one point five according to the IPCC any move to alleviate the alleviate Alleviate, I got it right, the impact of climate change means using less fossil fuel. That renders as assets obsolete. Companies are under pressure to move away from the production of harmful energy. If current oil, gas, and coal energy infrastructure were to operate for their designated lifetime without technology to capture and store carbon, capping global warming at the target would be impossible. Impossible, I say. It said nations should stop burning coal completely and cut oil and gas use by 60 and 70 percent, respectively, by 2050 to keep within the Paris goals, noting that both solar and wind were now cheaper than fossil fuels in many areas. The idea of stranded assets dates back to the 2010s, put forward by the think tank Carbon Tracker. You remember him, old, old carb. For the second straight year, scientists at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration are reporting a record increase in the level of methane in the atmosphere, along with a significant jump in carbon dioxide levels. Why, that's not what we're supposed to be doing at all, is it? How did that happen? We must not have been paying... These are the two most important greenhouse gases, of course. CO2 lasts longer. By the numbers, NOAA's preliminary analysis of global warming gases last year was released this week. It's based on measurements taken at monitoring stations around the world. It finds the annual spike in atmospheric methane last year, 17 parts per billion, the largest annual increase recorded since such tracking began way back in 1983. Beat the previous record set the year before. Atmospheric methane levels, according to NOAA, are now 162% greater than they were during the pre-industrial era. So methane fans, you're in luck. Or methane if you're in America. Carbon dioxide levels increased by 2.66 parts per million last year, according to NOAA. That made last year the 10th straight year that the levels of CO2 increased by more than 2% per million. That's the fastest sustained rate of increase since the monitoring began 63 years ago. The last time carbon dioxide levels were this high, you may be wondering, uh, cast your mind back about 4.1, 4.5 million years ago. Remember that? That was wild. Sea levels were about 75 feet higher then than they are now. There's been considerable scientific debate, according to Axios.com, on what has been causing methane levels to rise significantly over the past few years. According to one researcher, Zin Lan, at Boulder, Colorado lab, fossil fuels, according to its production and use, counts for 30% of total methane emissions. She thinks tropical wetlands and ruminant agriculture, such as your cattle, are causing the majority 
of the emissions spike. But there may be a feedback between human-caused global warming and an uptick in tropical rainfall, which might drive methane levels higher in recent, sorry, future years, and that could further accelerate warming. Doing something about methane is great, but it's just the first baby step, says one of the researchers. I hope if the emphasis on methane won't be used as an excuse for not doing much about CO2, the researcher added. Well, that couldn't happen. We're not that kind of people, are we? It's really quiet in here. Are we? I guess we are. And uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, for your listening pleasure, some news about the birds and the bees. Okay, first about the bees, the city of Ann Arbor, Michigan, has unanimously passed the No Mow initiative this week. Get it? No mow? They really mean no mowing. The resolution declaring No Mow May encourages property owners to refrain from mowing their property from now until the end of May. The reason, reports from the city council meeting, state the Ann Arbor City Council recognizes that bees and other pollinators are integral to the pollination of plants in order to grow a wide diversity of essential foods. Your fruit, your nuts, your vegetables. Not mowing one's lawn would allow for early season emergence and maturation among pollinators. It's intended to be a voluntary program. Homeowners are encouraged to take part in it. It would also, of course, reduce the emissions produced from gas-powered mowers. We're still using those. We're still using gas-powered leaf blowers. We're good. It would increase the effectiveness of green space, say the Ann Arborites, and reduce noise pollution. Oh, those things don't make much noise. They add the population of insects who pollinate is already threatened due to habitat loss pathogens, parasites. Which do you prefer? The pathogens or the parasites? It's a big game coming up, and... Neonicotinoid use, use. That, of course, we know all about that insecticide class effect on bees. Bee pollinators use no mow spaces as key floral resources during early spring in the Midwest United States. According to the city council, finds it's in the public interest and consistent with adopted city policy to demonstrate its commitment to a safe and health community environment through the implementation of initiatives that help increase the pollinator population. No mole. It's cute, isn't it? Nice nice use of uh, of the Argo, wouldn't you say? And, uh, More now about the birds and the bees. A groundbreaking new study finds that coffee beans are bigger and more plentiful when birds and bees team up to protect and pollinate coffee plants. I wish I had some now. Um, Without these winged helpers, 
some traveling thousands of miles, coffee farmers would see a 20% drop in crop yields, loss of roughly $430 per acre, more than $275,000 per square mile of your coffee. We don't want that, do we? I don't think so. But yet, but yet, the uh, coffee industry, it's a $26 billion thing. The research has even broader implications. The study in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences is the first to show, using real-world experiments at 30 coffee farms, that the contributions of nature, in this case bee pollination and pest control by birds, are larger combined than their individual contributions as just birds or just bees. Quote, until now, researchers have typically calculated the benefits of nature separately and then simply added them up, says the lead author. But nature is an interacting system. Who knew? Full of important synergies and trade-offs, we show the ecological and economic importance of these interactions in one of the first experiments at realistic scales in actual farms. Unquote. Not those little pretend farms you're so used to. Past assessments of individual ecological services may actually underestimate the benefits biodiversity provides to agriculture and human well-being, says one of the researchers. These positive interactions mean ecosystem services are more valuable together than separately. Of course, we get them for free. So, of course, we value them greatly. The birds... And the bees. I told you about them. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I'll read the trades for you. High energy commercials capture viewers' attention. Study shows. This is from Ad Age, of course, and of course, I'll read it for you. Looking to captivate a TV audience? Turn down the volume and turn up the energy. A new study from the University of Notre Dame shows high energy commercials can help brands capture and hold viewers' attention. The findings support researchers' observations that TV advertising has become increasingly energetic over time, despite federal limitations on commercial volume levels. It also suggests advertisers should play to consumers' emotions and not just their demographics and behaviors in order to form the most effective advertising strategy. The study arrived at the conclusion that high-energy commercials can be linked to better audience engagement by analyzing more than 27,000 TV commercials aired on U.S. networks between 2015 and 2016, and almost every single Super Bowl commercial aired from 1969 to 2020. That sounds like fun research, doesn't it? The study was authored by Junyuk Yang, Assistant Professor of Marketing at Notre Dame. The study appears in the Journal of Marketing Research's February issue, 
The team created a framework to algorithmically measure energy levels among the commercials, which they compared to people's perceptions of the ad's energy levels. People perceived energy levels were related to the level to which people's emotional states were aroused by stimulating ad content. That's what they found. Quote, the positive association between energy levels and ad content and ad tuning is significantly, uh, sorry, statistically significant, Yang said. How'd they measure energy? They based that technique on Spotify's energy measure for music. Spotify defines energy as, quote, a perceptual measure of intensity and powerful activity released through the track, unquote. The study concluded that TV ads' energy levels are highly correlated with people's psychological state of arousal. Defined as a subjective experience of energy mobilization. Unquote. Study found the extent to which energy levels are correlated with views, viewers' arousal states varies across program genres and product categories. So, what are you going to do? Food and beverage commercials aired during entertainment and news programs are more likely to be viewed for longer periods of time than those aired during sports programs, for example. We want to get back to the action. Don't you understand? Traditionally, advertisers have pumped up the volume of their commercials to attract and sustain consumers' attention. Yeah, that worked. <laughs> yeah, that worked. That trend fell out of practice when regulators imposed limitations on the loudness of commercials because we were so aroused by them. <laughs> you following? You following this chain of logic, ladies and gentlemen? 2010, they passed the Commercial Advertisement Loudness Mitigation Act. Oh, yes, it spells out calm. That directed TV stations, cable operators, and satellite TV providers to measure and control the audio loudness, according to the FCC. Yang's team advises brands to use A-B testing, splitting an audience into two groups to gauge how audiences react to different variations of ads. Why, nobody ever thought of that before. Nobody does that. They also recommend that advertisers test multiple designs of ad creatives with the groups to determine which perform better. Wow. Breakthrough. Breakthrough. Also, says Yang, we want to showcase the importance of careful feature engineering of ad content when relating it to consumer behavior. I'm an ad content engineer. I studied it in school. We want our ads intense, don't we? Can we just agree on that? Since I read the trades for you, copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
you're on Medicare and you don't enjoy the protection of Medicare Part D, what's wrong with you? I'm Tucker Carlson, and I'm not asking just out of vagrant curiosity. I really want to know why you haven't gotten out of so-called government health care, which doesn't really have a lot of care, and into the protective penumbra of liberty, liberty health system, that is. Part D, better known as Medicare superiority, though the government won't tell you that, is all the normal services you'd expect from your doctor and so much more and so much less, like less regulation, less paperwork. We should call it computer work, except it still ends up on paper. Less Joe Biden between you and your physician. You know, we're not supposed to want free dental coverage or vision or hearing coverage. I said hearing coverage or free trips to the doctor. That's why you don't get any of that from so-called regular Medicare. But you do get all those services from Liberty Health System for a small monthly fee and a reasonable yearly membership, as well as the lowest hourly surcharge in the industry. Oh, but that's right. That would be through free enterprise. And that's nasty and corrupt and cruel. Don't believe me? Just ask Bernie Sanders. But here's a little secret. Santa Bernie is probably getting his health care through Liberty Health Systems, Medicare Part D. The difference is he wouldn't tell you that, and I just did. You know, if he got the chance, Joe Biden would be shutting down Liberty Health. So it might be a good idea for you to call today, ask them if your zip code qualifies under some arcane regulation for Medicare Part D plans, like the one from Liberty Health. Maybe you can't stop all the craziness going on all around us, but you can get your medical care from Liberty Health Systems. They support me, and that's good enough for me. From the Bible to the popular song, there's one theme that we find right along. Of all ideals they hail as good, the most sublime is motherhood. There was a man, though, who it seems once carried this ideal to extremes. He loved his mother and she loved him, and yet his story is rather grim. lived a man named Oedipus Rex. You may have heard about his odd complex. His name appears in Freud's index because he loved his mother. His rivals used to say quite a bit that as a monarch he was most unfit, but still in all they had to admit that he loved his mother. Yes, he loved his mother like no other. His daughter was his sister and his son was his brother. One thing on which you can depend is... He sure knew who a boy's best friend is. When he found what he had done, he tore his eyes out one by one. A tragic end to a loyal son who loved his mother. So be sweet and kind to mother now and then have a chat. Buy her candy or some flowers or a brand new hat. But maybe you had better let it go at that. Or you may find yourself with a quite complex, complex end. You may end up like Oedipus. I'd rather marry a duck-billed platypus than end up like old Oedipus Rex. Happy 94th birthday to Tom Lehrer. From New Orleans, this is Le Show. And now some news of the land of 15,000 princes are 
freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Deadline, Istanbul. What does that have to do with Saudi Arabia? Just listen, won't you? A, a Turkish court this week halted the trial of Saudi suspects involved in the, you may remember this, the killing of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi. The trial has been transferred to America. No, to Saudi Arabia. It's a ruling that drew condemnation from rights groups. It comes as Ankara is trying to mend ties with Riyadh, you see. The decision was expected after the prosecutor, this is according to Reuters, the decision was expected after the prosecutor called last week for the trial in absentia of 29, sorry, 26 Saudi suspects to be transferred. The justice minister later endorsed the request. It was additionally, initially sought by Riyadh. Hey, give us the trial, won't you? Khashoggi's killing at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul four years ago, you may recall, raised a global outcry, put pressure on Saudi Arabia's de facto ruler, Prince Mohammed bin Salman. That's fresh Salman. Turkish officials said they believe Khashoggi, a frequent critic of the crown prince, was killed and his body dismembered in an operation which the Turkish president said had been ordered at the highest levels of the Saudi government. Why, that would be... Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Khashoggi's fiance, who was waiting outside the consulate at the time, said she was surprised and saddened by the political decision. I had begun to grow hopeless, but I did not expect such a decision, she said. Saudi Arabia is a country where we know there is no justice. No one expects a just decision there. A couple years ago, Saudi Arabia jailed eight people for between seven and 20 years for the murder. None of the defendants was named in what rights groups described as a sham trial, not a sham wow trial. The Turkish court's ruling marks a sharp turnaround in the trial that began two years ago. Especially given public statements from officials that Turkey needs to handle a case to serve justice, Erdogan said in December 2018, Turkey wouldn't hand over evidence to Riyadh because they could destroy it. And he criticized their changing accounts of how Khashoggi was murdered. Quote, they think the world is dumb. This nation isn't dumb and knows how to hold people accountable. Unquote Erdogan at the time. A U.S. intelligence report released a year ago said Prince Mohammed had approved the operation to kill or capture Khashoggi. Saudi government denied any involvement by the crown prince. Proceedings in the case had slowed recently. The court had refused to add a U.S. intel report to the file while also requesting information from Riyadh. Which, you know, you got to get the information from Saudi Arabia, don't you? Well, the Saudi government media office did not immediately respond to requests for comment. The killing and subsequent accusations strained ties between the two Muslim regional powers, led to an unofficial Saudi boycott of Turkish goods that cut Ankara's exports to Riyadh by 90%. But Turkey's economy is in the doldrums right now. 
Turkey is keen for investment to turn that around. And Ankara has sought over the last year to heal the rift with Riyadh. A dismemberment here or there. Come on. Saudi Arabia raised oil prices for customers in all regions as Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues to reverberate throughout markets, according to Bloomberg. Saudi Aramco, the state oil company, increased its Arab light crude. Now, that's the kind of oil for next month's shipments to Asia to 9.35 a barrel. That's a jump of $4.40 from April of last year. Oil has soared to more than $100 a barrel in the wake of Moscow's attack. Many buyers are avoiding cargoes from Russia despite them being offered a steep discount. Hey, that'll deal with this inflation thing. Flows from uh, Russia may be down by between 1 and 3 million barrels a day coming up. According to the world's biggest independent crude trader, So Saudi Arabia is helping out, as you might expect, from the land of 15,000 princes, our freedom-loving friends, in Saudi Arabia. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. And yet, not nearly enough. Microplastic particles have now been found in 9 out of 10 cosmetic products from leading brands. That's why they're leading, isn't it? The ingredients in more than 7,000 products from Gillette, Nivea, L'Oreal, Oral-B, and Head and, Sh- Oral-B and, Head and Shoulders were analyzed. Only 13% found to be microplastic-free. Findings come from the Plastic Soup Foundation, a nonprofit group that campaigns against plastic pollution. Lipsticks, shampoos, sun cream, moisturizers, and deodorants were all found to contain plastic. The PSF is calling for stricter regulation on the use of synthetic polymers. Not polymer records. They're cool. The definition of microplastics is a controversial topic, according to the independent newspaper. It makes the issue hard to regulate. Ideally, there would be stricter checks on products for microplastics before they end up on sharp, stop, sharp shop shelves ready for purchases. In Europe, it's estimated more than 3,800 tons of microplastics are released every year. Uh, using typical cosmetic products, according to the European Chemicals Agency. But the environmental impact of microplastics remains unclear. New study from the University of Hull. (laughs) Yeah, they got one there. Located microplastics in the deepest sections of human lungs. Tom? I would be human lungs. Yeah, that's that's deep. With the concerning implication being that plastic particles are not being filtered out or remained trapped. Researchers, as I say, from University of Hull and Hull York Medical School also found microplastics in the, as I say, the deepest section of the lung, previously thought to be impossible due to how narrow the airways are. Microplastics have previously been found in human cadaver autopsy samples. This is the first study to show them in lungs 
from live people. Tom? Drugs from live people. Yeah. That's emeritus for you. The research team says the findings show that inhaling microplastics is a root of exposure and will now help direct future studies on the impact microplastics could have on respiratory health. The study was published in the in Science of the Total Environment. That's it. ambitious. Found 39 microplastics in 11 of the 13 lung tissues sampled, considerably higher than any previous laboratory tests. No, just one word. Microplastics. Some news of the godly, ladies and gentlemen, for your listening pleasure. Coming your way here on this very broadcast. That's how that works. Dateline Albany, more than three years ago, the State Attorney General's Office of New York announced it was launching an investigation into the handling of child's, pardon me, the um, handling, well, the... the um, the procedures involving child sexual abuse by New York's Catholic diocese. Since then, no cases have been pursued by the district attorneys who were encouraged at that time to pursue any related criminal allegations that were uncovered and fell within appropriate statutes of limitations, as according to the Albany Times Union. The lack of any apparent grand jury investigations, which could also produce reports detailing the diocese's handling of child sex abuse, even if criminal charges weren't possible. That lack has occurred despite increasing evidence that church leaders routinely covered up the allegations to protect their priests and their institutions. That practice also led to the additional abuse of children when accused priests were later allowed to return to ministry without bishops or others notifying congregations of their histories according to court records. Quote, I'm not aware of any criminal investigations, and I would imagine it would capture the attention of the media if that, in fact, had happened, said Washington County District Attorney Tony Jordan. He's president of the uh, state's District Attorney's Association. Still, many of the details of Catholic Church handling of the abuse committed by priests or other employees had been laid bare as a result of pretrial proceedings in thousands of civil lawsuits filed under New York's Child Victims Act. That uh, legislation was passed in the uh, summer of 2018. Recently, there's disclosure of former Albany Bishop Howard Hubbard's testimony in a pre-trial deposition it was taken last year as part of multiple lawsuits filed against him and the diocese. Uh, that disclosure confirmed he had concealed incidents of child sexual abuse to avoid scandal. Well, that works for a while. And to preserve respect for the priesthood. I don't know. I have to uh, check my respect meter, see if that worked. The admissions by Hubbard, who acknowledged he did not contact police when he learned of child sexual abuse allegations, those admissions raise questions about whether his actions have exposed him or the diocese to potential criminal fallout. Most of the sexual abuse in the Albany diocese took place decades ago, outside the reach of criminal statutes, thanks to the statute of limitations. But um, Hubbard, this guy in question, former bishop of Albany, 
He didn't retire until 2014 and only recently acknowledged that he systematically hid the abuse from the public and the congregations that he served. Fessed up, did he? The approach of uh, some later portion of life kind of jarred him. Jordan, president of the District Attorneys Association, says state law is complicated on when the statute of limitations would kick in for certain criminal conduct, including allegations involving the concealment of wrongdoing. So the priests who offended may have gotten away with it, but not the bishop who covered up their acts. There's your justice right there, isn't it? Kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of. And now, the Apologies of the Week. No relation to the previous item. We're so sorry. Well, I have to share this with you because it's from a publication called InsideTheMagic.net. It covers the amusement parks, at least in Florida. Universal Orlando Resort executives recently reached out to team members, i.e. employees, and apologized for failed leadership in an internal video that was uh, obtained by West Orlando News. They cover the west of Orlando. According to their report, team members of Universal Orlando's Guest Contact Center provided feedback on a cultural assessment from the Fair Employment Practices team. Team members were told by the vice president of Universal Resorts Consumer Sales Operation that Universal had not provided them with the leadership and support they deserved. Quote, I realize and understand we have not been providing you with the leadership and support you deserve. You deserve, and for that, I am sorry. I know we have work to do, and we're going to do that work. Unquote. Another executive, Alice Norsworthy, president of global marketing for Universal Parks, she's going to be visiting the Orlando Guest Contact Center as soon as she returns from Beijing, where Universal just recently opened its newest resort. Just in time for the uh, 25 million people in Shanghai to be locked down. It's crucial for us to understand your perspective, Norsworthy said. Please know we're all committed. I'm personally committed to providing an inclusive environment where team members can thrive and everyone's proud to work. Don't really know what the problem was. The exact details of the situation have not been shared, you see. The report indicates Flores, one of those executives, had the office, his office relocated from the back lot of the theme parks to an off-site leased warehouse office location where the guest contact center is located. Staffing is not reaching adequate levels and many are quitting because of a toxic work environment. What's the matter? It's a warehouse. Now, some airline apologies with lower demand for air travel and newly added restrictions. The past couple of years have been a volatile time for airlines. Travel demand shot back up when the uh, vaccines came on the market, but many U.S. airlines have struggled to keep up. Recently, Alaska Airlines had to issue an apology to all of its travelers over one major problem. Alaska Airlines issued an apology to its customers over flight cancellations. It had let down some of its valued guests by canceling an unusual number of flights. To all of you who are impacted, we are deeply sorry. 
We put you in a frustrating situation most likely when you were looking to take a fun trip, family vacation, or needed to get somewhere important to you. We must do better. Over the last few days, we looked at how we got here and are taking action to get back on track. We're committed to being the airline you love. Only Ernie Anderson was still here to pronounce that word. Alaska Airlines canceled nearly 200 flights in the first two days of April alone. One of the problems, according to Alaska Airlines' apology, a pilot shortage. Said more than 10,000 pilots left the airline industry during the pandemic. Despite launching a new pilot academy, training delays still caused Alaska Airlines to end up with 63 fewer pilots to fly in April than they'd planned for when they set up the schedules. Yeah, you do need a, you do need pilots to fly them. Self-flying aircraft. Come on now. Let's go. Let's go. Elon, you listening? EasyJet, speaking of airlines, this week tweeted they are a low-cost European airline. They tweeted then quickly deleted an ad with an image of a man with his flight and seat number tattooed onto his right arm. The tweet said, quote, you never forget your first flight. The deleted image, which was saved and then shared by Israeli flight enthusiast John Siva, had obvious Holocaust connotations. EasyJet confirmed the post in an email to the Times of Israel. While this is a genuine picture of a a customer's tattoo celebrating their first flight with us, we understand the concerns raised and as a result decided to remove the post. We are sorry for any offense unintentionally caused by the post. No sense of history at the airlines? These things happen. Dateline, Blantyre, Malawi. Malawi's attorney general has apologized for police detaining a journalist and trying to force him to reveal his sources on a government corruption story. The rare public apology came after the government faced criticism from advocates for press freedom and the U.S. and British embassies in Malawi. Madonna had no comment. Uh, There was apparently a dust-up between film director Lee Daniels and actress Monique. Now they're officially burying the hatchet after years of tension played out in the media, according to The Hollywood Reporter. They collaborated, did they, on the 2009 film Precious. The Oscar-winning actress was on stage during um, an event at... Staten Island at a theater. This was uh, media shown on social media. The clip shows Daniels joining Monique in front of the crowd and offering a public apology. I am so sorry for hurting you in any way that I did, he said to the comedian. I said to the comedian, leading her to put her heart on, hand on her heart and appear to get emotional. Y'all, and she was my best friend, my best friend. Y'all think that Precious was just, that was God working through both of us. He continued. And we're going to, Effing do it again, as the two then briefly danced on stage. She's starring in a new film with Daniels directing. You get your publicity any way you can these days, ladies and gentlemen. Enough about them, perhaps, for now. The low-cost carrier back to airlines for one more apology. The low-cost carrier Vietjet Air 
has been forced to make a public apology after an April Fool's tweet prompted a flood of criticism in Thailand, which happens to be Vietjet Air's major markets. The problem, they made fun of Thailand's King Vajiralongkorn. Thank you. In an ad, or no, in a, in a social media post, which described the creation of a fake new route between the city of Nan in northern Thailand and Munich, Germany, where the king, for many years, has spent considerable amounts of time. You see the gag there. Quote, as the executive of the airline, I would like to admit my fault for not taking enough care of my staff, said the CEO of Thai Vietjet. The airline would like to clarify that the executives did not approve or support the publication of such online content and ordered immediate removal upon learning about the incident. Despite bearing the hashtag April Fool's Day, the tweet prompted criticism from a lot of uh, ultra-royalist folks online who said it had mocked Vajira Longcorn. Thai people, I included, found the tweet associated with your company disgusting, said one commenter. Added another, if there is any law to act against this airline, I would support it. Don't let them make profits from the Thai people. The April Fool's tweet references the fact that long before becoming King, Vajira Longcorn spent more time in Germany than in Thailand, of which he is the king. Shortly after taking the throne, he demanded the new Thai constitution be written so as to allow him to spend time outside Thailand without appointing a regent in his stead, effectively allowing him to reign from abroad. Not from Spain. And frequently travel, he frequently travels there aboard one of his alleged private fleet of seven jetliners. Well, he might just say he'll fly Vietjet instead for a while. That would be nice, wouldn't it? The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. It's a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And finally, today's broadcast, U.S. Department of Agriculture has food safety inspectors in every large meat packing plant in the country. Government's inspectors entered the high-risk workspaces almost every day during the high part of the pandemic. Sonny Perdue, the leader of the USDA, made clear he saw no role for that agency in protecting the workers in the meatpacking plant. That mostly fell to occupational safety and health. Two agencies should have collaborated to ensure workers were safe from COVID-19 by leveraging the inspectors already in the plants. That's according to the Department of Labor's Office of Inspector General in a new report this week. News from Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Program returns next week at the same time over these same radio stations and on your audio device of choice whenever you choose. And it'd be just like not having long measles. If you agree to join with me there. Well, you already. Thank you very much. Uh huh. for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts before they run out, and the playlist of the music heard here on all at harryshare.com, along with a lot of other stuff that will entertain the crap out of you. And me, I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO for their help with today's broadcast. The, the show comes to you from Century of Progress Production and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the Crescent City.